0: we Welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I'm Nathan Jones, the Internet Evangelist here at Lamb and Lion Ministries.
1: And I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist at Lamb and Lion. So far in our Jesus in the Old Testament series we've been in Genesis and Exodus. Those books are marked by sweeping narratives and colorful characters. They offer many stories that can be broken out to teach our children, from Adam and Eve, to Noah and the Flood, to Joseph and his coat of many colors, to Moses leading the children of Israel through the Red Sea.
0: But, when people get to the book of Leviticus, they usually bog down. And without a compelling narrative it seems dry and irrelevant to Christians today. But the third book of the Torah, which was handed down by God and recorded by Moses about 3,400 years ago, offers us important insights into the person and purpose of God.
1: We trust that God's Word is living and true from beginning to end. So, there must be a reason why He included this book of Law in the Holy Canon. To that end, I traveled to Lexington, Kentucky to sit down with a close friend. Our guest today is an expert on the law, not the 613 laws that observant Jews follow even to this day, but an expert on the law as it is applied, at least in the United States. Stan Lee is a lawyer from Lexington, Kentucky. And not only that, he is a person who has served in the legislature here in Kentucky for over 20 years. And so, he is an expert in the law, and he has been an outspoken voice of Christian values, a strong advocate for life, and my own dear friend and mentor, Stan i got to tell you I'm delighted to have you on the program and I appreciate you joining me on this episode of Christ in Prophecy.
2: Well, Tim, thank you for allowing me to be here and share uh, share a little bit in the ministry you're engaged in now. We've known and followed Lamb and Lion for years, supported it, and want to continue to do so. And, and I'm just thrilled to death to, to
1: be here and participate. Well one of the things I learned Stan, when I was doing a little research even on you and I don't think I recollected this from your time in the legislature, but your actual first name is Joseph. you know I could have had you on a few weeks ago when we focused on that <laughs> biblical exemplar, but uh, we didn't do that instead, I knew I wanted to talk to you about the law and so today our focus is on the book of law, Leviticus, and you actually determined early in your life to pursue a career in the law so, WHAT MOTIVATED YOU TO FOLLOW IN THE FOOTSTEPS OF ANOTHER FAMOUS KENTUCKIAN, ABRAHAM LINCOLN? YOU MEAN OTHER THAN MY STRIKING RESEMBLANCE. (laughs) WELL, uh, I DIDN'T SAY THAT, BUT YES, OF COURSE.
2: (laughs) NO, I ALWAYS WANTED TO uh, ENGAGE AND ADVOCATE uh, FOR uh, UNDERDOGS AND and REALLY TO FIGHT FOR PEOPLE. AND THE LAW IS A NATURAL PLACE TO DO THAT. IT'S A NATURAL ARENA uh, TO BE INVOLVED TO HELP PEOPLE AND THEN LATER, OF COURSE, uh, THE POLITICS in THE LEGISLATURE WAS JUST AN EXTENSION OF THAT.
1: WELL, CLEARLY, and, AND SORT OF LIKE ME, IN YOUR LATE 30s YOU FELT MOTIVATED TO RUN FOR ELECTED OFFICE. AND SO I'M CURIOUS WHAT MOTIVATED YOU, AND YOU ALREADY MENTIONED TO ADVOCATE FOR THE UNDERDOG, BUT WHAT ELSE MOTIVATED YOU TO PURSUE a, AT LEAST A SEASON OF LIFE SERVING IN THE KENTUCKY LEGISLATURE? AND WHAT WAS YOUR GOAL WHEN YOU WENT TO FRANKFORT, OUR STATE CAPITAL, AND SERVED ALL THOSE MANY YEARS?
2: Well, one of the primary reasons is the life issue, and I I think we'll touch on that a little bit later. But uh, that's always been a very important issue uh, for me. Uh, uh, Protecting unborn children uh, seems like a no-brainer to a rational and sane person. But the other reason which evolved to become the primary reason to stay and fight is that the attacks on on religious uh, liberty and religious freedom that have become so pervasive. Uh, I saw that as a threat uh, not only to our country, but a threat to Christians as a whole. I mean, what's going on, in my view, is a systematic uh, effort, as you know, to try to get God out of everything. And uh, I I, I believe that was wrong and that we needed to fight uh, against that and and fight for uh, biblical views, Christian views, because I believe our country Uh, AND I DON'T THINK THERE'S ANY DOUBT ABOUT IT, WAS FOUNDED AS A CHRISTIAN NATION. Mm -hmm. AND uh, THAT'S EMBODIED IN OUR FOUNDING DOCUMENTS AND IN OTHER PLACES, AS WE'LL PROBABLY TALK ABOUT. BUT
1: THOSE ARE THE REASONS WHY I RAN AND CONTINUED TO SERVE FOR SO MANY YEARS. WELL, AND STAN, YOU REALLY BRING A UNIQUE PERSPECTIVE, AND THIS IS WHY I WANTED TO HAVE YOU ON THIS PROGRAM, BECAUSE YOU are not only a convictional Christian who has practiced law, but you've actually been in a position to enact laws in this state and be a part of the American jurisprudence system. And and once upon a time our system of laws was just that, it was jurisprudence. It was a prudent or sensible approach to applying the law. And I would dare say that at one point our founders understood that our laws came from what I will call a a natural law kind of basis. Obviously our government modeled somewhat after Rome and other uh, republics, but our founders considered the Bible as the absolute and obvious foundation upon which to build our system of laws. Would you agree? I
2: I would agree, and I I would further uh, remind people that that, that, there is so much evidence of that (laughs) in the founding of our country and the evolution of our country. Uh, and our laws, uh, our constitution, uh, our form of government uh, w- was drafted by our founders AND, and uh, I think it was w- was it John Adams that said, "You know, our constitution was made for a religious and moral people; it's unsuitable for in- any other kind mm-hmm. of people." And uh, so, from from and that comes from from God. Uh, I, I believe our founders were Christians. And therefore, it was from God, the ultimate authority, that our Constitution, our ultimate legal authority on this earth, or at least in this country, was formed. And then it's from that Constitution that we get our other laws, our statutes, and then case law, and so on and so forth. So, uh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. There's no real serious argument that uh, Christianity, uh, the God of the Bible, is, is the basis for all the laws, and we can we can go into courts, <laughs> we can go into courts now, and uh, y- you can see, and uh, in in government, uh, in legislative sessions where we still open them in prayer. Thank God for that. Yes, there's a reason for that. We're asking for the blessing of the Lord o- over the legislative process because you know we know in Romans I think 13, God you know ordained government. And in our country, uh, the government is not supposed to be the leaders in Frankfurt or Washington. The government really is the people, of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's not just a fancy phrase, it's not just a cliche. That's our country. And as long as we preserve that, we'll preserve liberty, uh, particularly religious liberty. Uh, again, enshrined in our Constitution
1: and Bill of Rights. Certainly it is. We often cite, and I have uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren, who was not always conservative, but in the mid-50's gave an interview in Time Magazine where he said, this country was founded on Christian principles and on the the good book. And so, he, he referenced the Bible and he said, as long as we honor those principles I believe no great harm will come to us. And, and you can't imagine a Supreme Court Justice saying Uh, that today in a national magazine, (laughs) let alone uh, being tolerated by many in our country. But you and I served at the state level, and a lot of Americans today lament what they would consider the swamp of politics at all levels, but especially in Washington. And yet, as we've discussed, the Founders really enshrined Judeo-Christian values and, and principles in all of our founding documents, in our system of government itself at every level. And that's engraved throughout Washington, even at the state level. You can go to the United States Supreme Court and see Moses uh, carved <laughs> on the, the frieze outside the court itself holding the Ten Commandments. You can go to our Uh, legislature here in Kentucky, and we have, In God We Trust, right above the Speaker's dais. And so, what other examples could you cite that point to the fact that our own country at every level is founded upon these Judeo-Christian principles? Well, a a couple just
2: examples, at least uh, in in our country we still celebrate and, and still recognize as national, federal, and state holidays, Christmas and Easter. THE the, the TWO MOST IMPORTANT CHRISTIAN HOLIDAYS, Uh, AND WE STILL DO THAT, AND HOPEFULLY WE STILL WILL DESPITE THE EFFORTS TO uh, RENAME THOSE AND TRY TO MINIMIZE THOSE. BUT I I THINK WHAT what MIGHT BE AS GOOD AN EXAMPLE AS ANY IS THE COURT SYSTEM IN AMERICA, WHICH IS BASED ON YOU GETTING A DECISION, AND IF YOU DISAGREE WITH THE DECISION, YOU APPEAL TO A HIGHER COURT, A HIGHER AUTHORITY. And if you don't like the decision from that first appellate level, then you've got another appellate level you can go to, still in higher authority. And if you don't like that, then you can still appeal to a a higher level, even that. And then when you get to the highest level, that's the United States Supreme Court. That is emblematic in my view of that there is a higher authority. And I think our court system is just reflective of that, is that the highest authority is God. And it, God was kind enough, wise enough, obviously, to give us uh, His Word. Yes. And, and, and we, can, we, we can see it there. So I think our court system, and, and I know people and, and some will disagree with that, uh, but I think it is emblematic of the higher authority of God. And in this country in particular, there's no dispute about it.
1: Well, I agree completely. Obviously, that's what motivated me to serve. You know, one time Western civilization had an awareness of what I referred to already as natural law. Mm-hmm. And we understood that a natural law would require a lawgiver, in other words, a higher authority, a source, other than mere lawmakers like us when we served in the legislature. And the unchallenged consensus in this country was it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, mm-hmm. later revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. WHO WAS THE GREAT LAWGIVER. RIGHT.
2: WELL, AND, and, and AS I, I THINK IT SAYS IN MATTHEW, JESUS uh, SAID HE DIDN'T COME TO ABOLISH THE LAW, HE CAME TO FULFILL THE LAW. AND I THINK SOME PEOPLE FORGET THAT. Uh, BUT I THINK JESUS AS THE LAWGIVER uh, uh, HELPED DEFINE and, AND help THAT CONCEPT TO BE INVOLVED A LITTLE BIT MORE uh, for example, when when, when Christ said, that, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But then He tells you, you know, if, if you look at a lady in lust after her, mm-hmm. you've already committed adultery. And I think what Christ is saying there is that these laws, these rules uh, were not put in place, uh, uh, were not handed down uh, from on high simply to be traps or snares to to... to to enslave people, but to show you how to live, to have a life that's full, uh, to have a life, to live a life as full as you can. If you live within the Christian parameters uh, that God has clearly set out, you're not going to have the you're not going to have the stress uh, that that you would otherwise have. You're really able to live more free. Yes, You really are able to live more free. And with that freedom comes a peace that is one of the most important things you can have on this earth. And you can only find that peace
1: through God, through Jesus. Amen to that. Well, you know, we one time, again, as a society, recognized and reflected those truths. And yet, how far we've come, or perhaps how far we have fallen uh, in this nation. Just as an example, today many states are embracing laws that encourage the callous destruction of unborn human life, something that you and I find abhorrent. And you were on the front lines. We were in the trenches together in Frankfurt fighting for laws that would defend innocent life. And we finally passed some of those that would protect unborn life, at least here in Kentucky. What is the status from a legal perspective of some of those laws as it relates to going forward to the Supreme Court? Because they are always challenged by those on the left who want to embrace Abortion. Sure, and and, and uh,
2: I'll, I'll give you a good example and, and I'll try to be as uh, brief with it as, as I can. Uh, in 2018, when you and I were, were oh. still serving together, we passed House Bill 454. Adia Wushner was the primary uh, sponsor of that. You and I, and Joe Fisher, and some others co sponsored that legislation. And this was a bill to uh, BASICALLY PROHIBIT ABORTION AFTER 11 WEEKS OF GESTATION, BUT MORE IMPORTANTLY, OR MORE SPECIFICALLY, TO PROHIBIT THE, the uh, DISMEMBERMENT AND EVACUATION PROCEDURE, mm. which, WHICH IS REALLY HARD TO EVEN DISCUSS, BECAUSE if, if, IF YOU DID THAT TO A LIVE ANIMAL, YOU WOULD BE VILIFIED AND, and TIRED AND yeah. FEATHERED AND drugged OUT THROUGH THE STREET BY SO MANY PEOPLE. BUT THEY WERE DOING THIS TO UNBORN BABIES. And- THAT BILL PASSED OVERWHELMINGLY IN THE HOUSE AND THE SENATE. Uh, WAS SIGNED uh, INTO LAW BY THE GOVERNOR, AND THEN IT WAS IMMEDIATELY CHALLENGED AT THE DISTRICT COURT LEVEL, WAS DECLARED UNCONSTITUTIONAL. THEN IT WENT TO THE SIXTH CIRCUIT, WHERE OUR NEW GOVERNOR DECIDED HE WAS NOT GOING TO DEFEND THE LAW ANYMORE. SO OUR NEW ATTORNEY GENERAL, DANIEL CAMERON, DECIDED THAT, that HE WANTED TO STEP IN AND DEFEND THE LAW, WHICH IS WHAT OUR ATTORNEY GENERAL SHOULD BE DOING. OF COURSE. SO IN ANY EVENT, uh, THEY SOUGHT A writ OF certiorari WITH THE uh, Uh, US SUPREME COURT AND THEY ACCEPTED IT AND THEY JUST HAD ARGUMENTS WITHIN THE LAST 30 DAYS ON THAT ISSUE BEFORE THE UNITED STATES SUPREME COURT. AND and BASED ON THE ARGUMENT AND COMMENTS OF THE JUSTICES, IT APPEARS PRETTY CLEAR THAT THEY'RE GOING TO SIDE WITH THE ATTORNEY GENERAL, ALLOW HIS INTERVENTION INTO THAT, AND HOPEFULLY HE'LL BE ABLE TO uh, CONTINUE TO DEFEND THAT LAW. But, BUT AGAIN, THE POINT IS, IS THAT YOU PASS LAWS LIKE THIS, THE PEOPLE SUPPORTED WHOLEHEARTEDLY, sure. OVERWHELMINGLY, AND THEN YOU HAVE a, a, a DISTRICT COURT JUDGE APPOINTED FOR LIFE, uh, REALLY HAS NO ACCOUNTABILITY TO ANYONE, uh, THROWING OUT A LAW LIKE THAT. AND THEN FOR THEM TO SAY, THE ATTORNEY GENERAL CAN'T DEFEND IT, it, it IT'S it's outrageous, but I think we know where that comes
1: from. You know, Stan. Anyone who's watched a courtroom drama on TV or the movies knows that a witness must swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And often they lay their hand on a Bible as they swear that oath. Why has that been the practice in an American courtroom, and what does it signify? Well, the significance of it is that, again, the.
2: This, this goes back to the founding of our country as a Christian country. It is a Christian country. Uh, it's a, we were founded as a Christian country. Uh, uh, to be tolerant of other people's faiths and beliefs is certainly, but we were founded as a Christian nation. And because of that founding the ultimate authority has always been seen in our country uh, and is embodied in the court system I believe and that by this, this act as well. That when you take an oath, when you swear an oath on the Bible, you're swearing uh, an oath to God that you will tell the truth. That's an oath you don't want to break. The Bible's pretty clear about that, right. and there, are, you know, bad consequences if you were to break an oath like that. Uh, it, it, it's also uh, uh, if if you tell untruths under oath, that's called perjury. That's that's a crime. But breaking your oath to God is even seen as a, a worse thing to do, so to speak. So, yeah, that's further evidence. Of that, that we higher f- authority. Of the higher authority.
1: Of the, not a higher, the highest yes. authority in my view. Well, very obviously so. As America continues down a path to moral revolution, what do you see as the next wave of laws that the progressive left, uh, the radical left, will tend to advocate? ONE, I THINK THEY'RE GOING TO they're,
2: they're TRY TO DO AWAY WITH HOMESCHOOLING. Uh, there's, THEY'VE BEEN FIGHTING AGAINST THAT FOR YEARS. THEY DON'T WANT PARENTS TO BE ABLE TO TEACH THEIR OWN CHILDREN. THEY WANT TO TAKE OUR CHILDREN AND INDOCTRINATE THEM.
1: And, WE SAW and THAT EVEN IN THE RACE IN VIRGINIA FOR GOVERNOR.
2: How WE, that, uh, we JUST SAW HOW THAT PLAYED OUT. Yes, AND we THE did. PARENTS PUSHED BACK. AND I WAS SO ENCOURAGED BY yes. THAT. BUT THE OTHER THING THEY'RE GOING TO DO IS THEY'RE GOING TO USE HEALTH AS A MEANS TO TRY TO ULTIMATELY uh, restrict Christians. I mean, that's what's going on. Uh, and it doesn't take a historian to see the, the parallels with what the Nazis did in Germany. They use health as a reason to first identify Jews, they use health then a- as a reason to segregate the Jews. And then they use health because they consider Jewish people to be dirty, diseased, filled people then they used health as the reason to start rounding them up and exterminating them. And what has gone on in this past year in this country? They've used health as a reason to close churches, to tell people they can't get together and worship. We had a governor in our state who closed churches, who sent the police to take down license plate numbers of people who were wanting to worship. They, They put nails down at the entrance of churches to try to keep people from going to church. Mm. That's what our governor did in this state and all under the guise of health care. So that's going to be the modus operandi I think that they're going to try to employ uh, to ultimately try to, 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 to shut down Christianity. But I'm here to tell you it's not going to work because God is bigger, God is greater, and we're going to prevail. God will prevail. He I have no will. doubt
1: about that. Well, we know He wins in the end. That's the whole message of uh, of Scripture and Revelation. Speaking of which, Jesus said that He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Uh, so, on a personal note, describe your relationship with the one who fulfilled the law of God.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier. I, uh, When I was saved, when I came to Christ, uh, I was able for the first time in my life to have a peace. Uh, I grew up kind of, you know, uh, with a bit of anger about this and that and and, 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 and whatnot and and, and anger at some injustice and that sort of thing, but... uh, didn't really know how to deal with that uh, until I came to the Lord. Mm. And and through Jesus, uh, you know, that you can be forgiven uh, of sins, of shortcomings, uh, uh, and have your sins forgiven and forgotten, uh, and to have someone else to help carry the burden. And to carry, real not help, but carry the entire burden Uh Gives you a piece. Any, I'll, I'll give you an example. Any success that I've had uh, in, in in my career is it, been because of God. It's mm-hmm. been because of Jesus Christ. Yes. God's brought brought me any measure of success I've had, in, in, which is great. And if if something hasn't gone my way, uh, then there was a reason for that. God has a reason for that. And sometimes you can't immediately see that, but I'm old enough now, years later, I can see where He's taking me in different directions. And that has given me a peace, and it's a peace I never would have had. And and again, the the longer I live, the more important uh, it is for, for me, and I, I think for other believers, is to be able to have that peace. Amen. And it's a peace that you know, transcends any earthly understanding. and you can only have that from Jesus.
1: When well, obviously Paul wrote about how we uh, cannot fulfill the law, and so we fall short of the glory of God, but Christ not only did fulfill the law, but he offers us remission for sins when we do fall short. I, I can tell you, Stan, I'm personally grateful for your dedication to upholding truth and preserving justice. And as I have said already, we've been in the trenches together, (laughs) and I know we both look forward to the coming of the King of Kings and the reign of the Prince of Peace on Mount Zion when He floods the earth with not only peace and holiness, but also justice. Stan, thank you very much for participating with us today on this episode of Christ in Prophecy. Tim, I I enjoyed it. Thank you. And God bless you for your
2: ministry. Thank you, sir.
1: While I was in the Kentucky legislature, I grew to have a love-hate relationship with the law. I swore an oath to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution, just as I had done when I entered the Air Force. But as I watched the process by which laws are enacted, I realized there had to be a better way. Scripture tells us that God handed down laws to allow His people to be in relationship with Him and each other. Faithfully heeding those laws led to what we call human flourishing, while disregarding them led to disappointment and eventual destruction. We know that Jesus came not to replace the law, but to fulfill it. And based on revelations given to Peter and Paul and the other writers of the New Testament, we know that we no longer have to abide by all the detailed laws and ordinances regarding kosher foods and cleanliness. In fact, When Gentiles began to be added to the body of Christ, the early Church Fathers determined that only a few laws needed to be applied to Jew and Gentile alike. So much for the argument that we have to attempt to honor all the dietary and hygienic laws of the Old Testament. For just a moment, though, I want to highlight a specific Christian lawyer. I know the joke would suggest that is a contradiction of terms, like military intelligence or honest politician. But God has called men and women from every walk of life to follow Him, from fishermen and tax collectors, to pilots and politicians, to lawyers. Stan Lee proved that today. One of my own American heroes was a Union general who served during the Civil War. Amazingly, he was tasked with defending Cincinnati at one point, and in less than 48 hours he had overseen the construction of a pontoon bridge across the Ohio River. I challenge anyone to do that today. Following the war, he returned to practicing law. But his faith in Christ compelled him to take on a sweeping project. He decided to approach the account of Jesus and His resurrection as if he were examining a legal case. The result was a work of historical fiction that conveyed the beautiful truth of Jesus' life and resurrection, and His power to change lives. You know his story as Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. Lew Wallace was the American lawyer, union general, and gifted author who penned this story. His fame was so widespread that Indiana chose him as one of their two exemplars to be honored in the U.S. Capitol's National Statuary Hall. How does this apply to you? No matter what your profession or calling, you can be used of God to bring glory to Him. Foremost among the opportunities presented to you is the commandment to share the gospel. You have your very own tale of the Christ. Communicate with everyone you can how He has impacted your life and why you are looking forward to His soon return.
0: Tim, I sure love the example of the lawyer you gave us, Lou Wallace. Uh, I also love the Charlton Heston movie. I think Ben-Hur has some of the best chariot races in all the movies out there.
1: You're exactly right. And Lou Wallace did an incredible amount of research and wove a lot of historical facts into his novel. As a matter of fact, because it culminates with Ben-Hur's life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, it qualifies as a work of historical fiction. Although I would warn our viewers that the original book has sentences that run entire paragraphs and pages long.
0: Not too much different than the Apostle Paul. Not at all. (laughs) In the novel and the movie, Ben-Hur experienced the injustice of life, and like Job, he fell from blessing into abject suffering. And like Joseph, he was adopted into a foreign culture and was restored to a position of honor. But he was spiritually empty and full of bitterness.
1: Then Jesus touched that literary character just like he touched real historical figures, transforming his life. Ben-Hur's bitterness evaporated, and he became a new creature full of joy and love. Ben-Hur was crushed under the inherent injustice of Roman law. We often chafe at the frustration of bureaucratic and unjust laws even in America. But when Jesus comes to dwell among us, He will rule with a rod of iron, and there will be no more legislatures or laws enacted by the whim of man. Abominations like abortion
0: will cease. Oh, thank God. And you don't have to wait for that glorious day for Christ to reign in your heart. Well, our key verse for today, Leviticus 10.3, says... By all who come near me, I will be treated as holy.
1: The rest of that verse says, Before all the people I will be honored. Someday every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Don't wait to make Him Lord of your life. Ask Him to dwell in your heart today and every day of the year.
0: And on that note, we'd like to offer you a copy of our 2022 calendar filled with wonderful artwork by a gifted Israeli artist. For a donation of $10 or more, including shipping, we'll be glad to send you this beautiful resource that will leave you praising our great God and Savior every day of every month. The cover alone portrays Jesus as the Lion of Judah, representing Him as our soon-returning King. We know this calendar will be a blessing to you. Well, next week, we'll consider one more wonderful truth conveyed in the book of Leviticus. Until then, this is Nathan Jones.
1: And Tim Moore saying, look up, be watchful, for our holy lawgiver is drawing near. Godspeed. Thank you.